The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Job Salit. I'm Matt Beat. And I'm Helen Hong. And today, we're talking about Aeronauts. Balloon fashion? Did she say balloon fashion? Does that mean like ladies of the day were wearing dresses with little balloons on them? Whatever you're doing right now, I want you to stop and look up. Okay, well, if you're inside, you might want to first find a window. But if you're outside, look up at the sky. It's amazing, isn't it? Now imagine living in a time before the scientific revolution. How do you explain the sky? The clouds constantly moving into all kinds of shapes, the different colors from blue to pink to orange to even red, and even crazier, what is beyond the sky? So join us on this adventure up there as we learn about the aeronaut. You know, Matt, before... Before you said that we were talking about aeronauts, I thought you were just on really good drugs. <laughs> By that intro, you'd probably assume that I was, yeah. <laughs> Helen, are you afraid of heights? Like if I'm inside a tall building and I'm looking out a window, that's fine. But if I'm like outside and looking straight down, yeah, I get a little like, whoa. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, you know, if you're in an airplane, you, you've generally feel pretty secure and yeah or in a skyscraper but are you afraid of heights i have never been too bothered by it but again this show is about aeronauts and we're talking about the original daredevils who just went up in balloons like really high up there <laughs> so just to start out matt is what is the definition of an aeronaut because i don't think i've ever said the word aeronaut or thought about the word aeronaut. So essentially the aeronaut is that person in the basket of a balloon. Automatically people are probably just thinking about balloonists of today, right? It was actually quite different from the job of balloonists today. This was one of the most exciting obsolete jobs that we have here because it attracted the thrill seekers. Some of them though were uh, scientifically minded, so they wanted to 
learn more about what was up there, you know. Here's Jennifer Tucker. She's the Associate Professor of History and Science and Society at Wesleyan University, where she describes the origin of the term aeronaut. So the the term aeronaut began to be connected to taking balloons up in the air almost immediately. It kind of captured the idea that going up in a balloon and exploring the oceans of air overhead was going to be similar in some ways to the ocean navigation. So a lot of the terminology that creeps into balloon language is already... Um, circulating among people who are familiar with marine travel. It, it sort of captures the idea of, of discovery and exploration and adventure. And maybe today people might call themselves balloon pilots rather than aeronauts. But this was certainly the, the main way that, that balloonists would describe themselves at the time. Wait, so Matt, I guess I'm still not super clear about what's the difference. Is it just because it was like the first time anyone had ever traveled in balloons, so it was all DIY? Yeah, like they would literally build the balloons, promote them as if it was like this big spectacle. Everyone would show up and watch and then, okay, watch me. I'm going to go up and and, and everyone's like, let's go watch Bob as he decides to (laughs) go up in that big blob of air. I mean... That's so crazy to me. Like, they just had this concept of, like, I think if we fill a balloon, we can get up there. And they just DIY'd the whole thing? Yeah. So, Matt, how is an aeronaut different from a modern-day balloonist? Because we still have balloonists today. Well, today's balloonists are mostly just pilots. They have that one purpose, whereas aeronauts were, I would say, part sky explorers part inventor slash engineer because they put these balloons together themselves. They were also entertainers. So in many ways, this is like a bunch of jobs all rolled into one. So where does the term aeronaut come from? It comes from France. This is where the first aeronauts really became famous. One of the things that's interesting about the French context in this sort of era of early flight was that there was this balloon mania which swept across Europe at this time, which was encouraged by the circulation of numerous writings and lithographs or balloon fashions and memorabilia. And this kind of ferment of discovery and imagination and possibility was partly a a reflection of the sciences at the time. Balloon fashion? Did she say balloon fashion? Does that mean like ladies of the day were wearing dresses with little balloons on them? Or like, or they're wearing dresses that are shaped like balloons? That would be pretty, (laughs) pretty darn cool, honestly. (laughs) But yeah, it it was fashionable. It was, uh, it was just these balloon, uh, well, these aeronauts, they were, they were celebrities. But yeah, so the, the earliest aeronauts, it it was a one-stop shop. They would put the balloons together. They would fill the, fill it with gas. A lot of times they were known as, quote, gentlemen scientists. So do you know, have you heard that term before, gentlemen scientists? I don't think I have. Essentially, they were scientists who were self-trained. Like they just kind of, it was more like a hobby. And again, the age of enlightenment, it was, it was stylish to study science. And even though they had never been, you know, classically trained, they... They, you know, they had dabbled here and there. And so, but they had the money too. That was a lot of these aeronauts actually had personal fortunes that they could actually use to spend on these 
balloons. This reminds me of a guy I dated once who like built oh, his own wow. motorcycles. Ooh, and I was yeah. like, ooh, that's hot. It's like <laughs> it's like the guy who builds his own motorcycles, but of this of the is it seventeen hundreds, Matt? Yeah. Seventeen yeah. hundreds a guy's like, Yeah, I build my own balloon, you know. <laughs> and and all the ladies are like, Ooh, you build your own balloons? Ooh, that's hot. Well, one of the one of the people that uh, was fascinated by aeronauts was Benjamin Franklin. There was this idea that it would be possible with the balloon to see the world differently, and that mystery around the balloon was there from the start. So Benjamin Franklin one time watched a balloon launch through a telescope from his carriage. This is what he wrote later. Someone asked me, "What's the use of a balloon?" And I replied, "What's the use of a newborn baby?" So, you know, this idea that, well, who knows what its use is going to be, but just the fact that it's there is, has a, so much potential and promise that it was going to open the mind as well as the skies. I wouldn't have thought of Benjamin Franklin as like a renegade hottie, but maybe he was a renegade hottie of the day because he was inventing all these things and all the ladies are like, ooh, what you're working on now, Ben? It's well known that he's he was a ladies' man. He was definitely, <laughs> yeah. No, you see he, those pictures of him in the wig? <laughs> I was going to say, we, all the images, we think of Benjamin Franklin yeah, it's like when like, he's old. But. <laughs> wait, I'm still, I'm still like fascinated. So before aeronauts, nobody had, like humans did not fly in any way whatsoever. Well, they okay. They were, there were some that dabbled with gliders, like they would jump off of tall, like the like a top of a church, and like watch me up as I fly. But <laughs> to my understanding, no. As far as actual giant balloons, no. So like, everyone knew, according to science, that if you filled a vessel with a certain type of gas, that the vessel would rise. Right? I'm assuming yes. people knew that. So then these these renegade rogue people of the time were like, you know what? I'm going to extrapolate this to a giant scale. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to make I'm going to sew a bunch of cloth together to make this humongous balloon and I'm going to fill that vessel with all these mysterious light gases. And then I'm going to attach that balloon to a basket and then I'm going to get in it. Like that's crazy. So the Montgolfier <laughs> brothers were the ones who uh first sent up balloons. The first ones, of course, did not have humans. They sent up animals. What? Apparently. Wait, what? Uh, a duck, a rooster. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, a sheep. Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Back up. So these two brothers, actually, it's two brothers in France. They remind me of the Wright brothers, right? The yes, Wright brothers. Right. Am I right? You or are am right. I right? So like these two brothers in France who are like, we want to fly. We're going to put gas in this basket, but it's too dangerous for people. So we're going to put a duck in the basket. <laughs> yeah, they put a duck, a rooster. The first one with humans was October 19th, 1783. And that was the the scientist Jean-Francois and his associate. <laughs> you French. Jean-Baptiste Ravillon. Oh, gosh, I'm Matt sorry. Beat your French is uh, atrocious. Terrible. <laughs> I'm so sorry about the pronunciations. So, wait, I uh, there's so many things that are blowing my mind. I can't believe the duck didn't jump out, to be honest. Just jump out and be like, I'm out of here. I'm not. Yeah, I'm they out. have wings. And then this other guy was like, I'll do you one better. I'm going to put people in the basket.
Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean. I've last hour on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Were any animals harmed in the making of this technology? There's no documented animals ever getting harmed. Doing oh, that, so thank God. Oh, yeah, thank God. That's what so matters, the duck, right? The duck made it. The, the rooster made it. Everyone made it back down safely to Earth. The rooster was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and then people were like, all right, well, the sheep made it. I'm going to try it myself. I think the thing that just kind of fascinates me the most about this is just imagine being the first person to look down on people like that. You know, <laughs> to literally look down. I mean, it's a bird's eye view um, for the first time. And 
it was almost like a psychedelic experience. Am I tripping? Holy cow. (laughs) Like your intro. It's like, I'm high. No, literally, I'm high. Yeah. So, I mean, later you'd have these wealthy Victorian type people that, you know, they're all dressed up and on these balloons, but then they'd just be giggling, like having such a a good time up in the balloons. By that time, it it wasn't quite as dangerous. I think we do need to look more at the the science angle of it because uh, a lot of scientists wanted to send stuff up there like, oh, send this up there. See what, see what happens when you put this on the balloon. There was this, this tremendous interest in the scientific possibilities of the balloon by the 19th century. And by that point, there, there really wasn't a project that the British Association was more interested in, really, than, than ballooning. They saw it as a symbol of a new kind of science and a new kind of scientist. It was kind of like today with the space shuttle, lots of different scientists put experiments on board to see what happens and so the balloon was like a, an instrument, like a microscope or a telescope. That's kind of how they saw it, except that they are going to be dependent on aeronauts to be able to, to, to get them up there with their instruments and back safely. Hmm. So it was like the NASA of the day, only mm-hmm. it was just random wealthy people who were like, hey, we're going to try this. Yeah. Well, but legitimate scientists, not just gentlemen scientists, but legitimate scientists sent stuff up there and they just wanted to see what what happens. Like if you put this plane up there, is it just going to shrivel up once you you get high enough in the air? These guys sound like the Elon Musk of their day. Like they just, they have a lot of money (laughs) and they have these wild theories like, hey, let's try it. I have the money. Let's try it. Might as well. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good analogy, actually. (laughs) Yeah, because they... They needed to have these daredevils come in to do a lot of that that work that no one else wanted to do. <laughs> it's like the first people that went off into space. Like, no one's ever done it. We have no idea if you're going to survive. We have no idea if you're going to make it back alive. And mm-hmm. these are people who are like, we're doing it. Let's just jump into the dangers here. Like, how dangerous was it? In the early decades of doing this, so like the late 1700s, they didn't know what was going to happen if, like, say, a storm came up or... If there was lightning in the area, downdrafts, sometimes uh, if people went up too high in the air, they would pass out because the air was too thin. And so, and they didn't know where that was exactly. It was kind of trial or trial and error. Like, okay, I think if you go a little bit higher, we might pass out or maybe not. <laughs> They're like, I think if we go up, uh... <laughs> yeah. were there deaths? Like, did was were there a lot of people who died? Were there accidents? There were accidents. There were deaths. Not many deaths. Let's first. Well, there's a movie. Have you heard of the movie Aeronauts? There's a movie called Aeronauts that looks at a lot of these. When did it come out? Came out in twenty. It came out last year. Oh wow! It seems like so long what? ago. So you haven't heard of this movie? Well, okay. There was a a character in that movie based off a real life character or r- real life person. Blanchard, who was the figure on which the the character of Amelia Wren in the Aeronauts movie is based. She was a very confident and natural entertainer. Immediately after her husband's death of a heart attack while descending in 1810, she made her first solo balloon display in Paris. She died in 1819 during one of her ascents. Her balloon caught fire. As she descended, the rigging got caught on a rooftop And so the the crash didn't kill her, but she slid off and fell onto the street to her death. Yowzas. That's brutal. Sophie Blanchard, I mispronounced her name, of course. Yeah, she she did not make it, but that was the character of Amelia Wren from the Aeronauts movie was 
based off of her. I mean, that's a ballsy lady. Oh, yeah. Ex- excuse my French. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's like a really – that she was like – I mean, a woman in the 1800s, she's, she's still wearing those crazy corseted dresses and the feathery hats and stuff. And her husband dies in a balloon accident. She's like, my turn. Stand back. I'm doing it myself. Her husband dies in a balloon accident and she like, she puts her corset itself into the basket (laughs) herself and flies a solo balloon flight on her own, a solo woman, and then she crashes and dies. That is, wow. The part I'm most impressed about was that she was all about the show, you know, doing fireworks and acrobats Mm. and, you know, she was like, first and foremost, an entertainer, like. Watch me do this, you know. She was like Lady Gaga. Mixed with Amelia Earhart. <laughs> yes. She's like Amelia Earhart meets Lady Gaga. There's also this other guy named Felix Nadar. There was a really nightmarish balloon journey of Felix Nadar in 1863. He lost, um, they lost ground and kept bouncing up and down on the ground, tearing through branches. They blew into the path of an oncoming train and then barely missed that. And then they hurtled toward a line of telegraph wires. And it was after that that he he became a proponent of heavier than air flight because he was convinced that, you know, the sort of lack of control that over the balloon was a big problem for it. So he was he was one of the ones in the 19th century really pushing for balloons powered by steam or electric so yeah, oh. that she she for the first time here, Jennifer mentioned uh, heavier than air flight. Yeah, what is that? So that's basically what we think of flight today, mostly, which is airplanes and helicopters, like oh, machines. That doesn't it doesn't require air as it doesn't require a gas that's propelling you. It's like right. it, it requires like something like like engineering something. Yeah. <laughs> Engineering something like I could put that any better myself. <laughs> you know the, the he hurtled toward a line of telegraph wires. She mentioned well that was something they didn't have to worry about when they started in the late 1700s. The telegraph didn't exist yet, and so there are things they didn't anticipate that would be obstacles in the coming decades. <laughs> Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So when ballooning started, like when aeronauting started, it was so early that they didn't have wires. <laughs> they didn't have telegraph yeah. wires. They didn't have, I'm assuming they didn't have super tall buildings. So they didn't have anything that they could cra- the balloon could crash into. But then as the technology progressed and telegraph wires went up and, and buildings started getting taller and there were mm-hmm. ch- chimneys and these tall structures man-made structures that the balloon could crash into but then as as time progressed it was like whoa it was like became an obstacle course like whoa all these things are like popping up yeah no totally it and that's again it was not just one thing it wasn't just uh felix nadar it was all kinds of people just starting to say like yeah this maybe isn't the safest thing but we had blimps we had giant blimps that transported people up until the 1930s i'm sure you're aware of the hindenburg disaster yeah. Yeah, that was uh, another thing that discouraged lighter than air travel. And they're like, nah, let's just focus on heavier than air. Let's let's focus more on those airplanes, getting those safer. When did blimp start? And is blimping part of this whole aeronaut story? So here's Jennifer explaining that, that big debate between lighter than air and heavier than air. There was a debate beginning around the 1850s and 60s between those who championed the lighter than aircraft and those who championed the heavier than aircraft. And it was a pretty intense debate. And so a lot of people think that lighter than aircraft sort of fell by the wayside, partly because the, the heavier than aircraft people in a way they kind of won. <laughs> um, I mean, the helicopter and the jet, you know, the jet plane, they sort of won and they, they sort of won the, the public rhetoric. But I mean, if we look at even now, lighter than aircraft and, you know, hot air balloons are still really popular and they still attract interest, just not on the same level. So I would not call the people who were on the air, these big airships aeronauts. I don't think they fit that description. But you couldn't have had blimps without aeronauts, right? Because the balloons came first. So the technology of the blimps was based on the technology that was discovered by the aeronauts. 
True. Yes. It wasn't until the 1850s where airships came around. And so then... what exactly is the difference between an aeronaut, which we're saying is obsolete, and a current day balloonist? It might be better just to have Jennifer describe the process. One of the kind of crazy things about 19th century ballooning was that there really was no such thing as a typical day. Every balloon ascent was its own thing. And for some people, that was part of the attraction, the kind of kind of uncertainty. Was it going to be a huge success? Was it going to be a complete failure? Aeronauts typically arrived at a launch site days in advance and got their inflation hoses set up so that the balloon was nicely inflated by the day of the ascent. Sometimes the balloon would be bouncing around when it was tethered and kind of raring to go. So the aeronaut would often enlist members of the crowd to help stabilize it until they were ready and also to hold the lead lines so that as it started to um, go up in the air, it wasn't going to kind of veer off in some direction into a building. So they also had to observe the weather, making sure that they were going up at, at, a, at a good moment and not like right in the middle of when a thunderstorm was going to happen. And then once they were starting to get up in the air, sometimes before they before the crowd lost sight of them, uh, they might have acrobats outside the balloon, hanging from the <gasps> balloon. They might parachute animals what? out. Sometimes they would um, throw out candy or pretty much anything they could think of. And, and if it was a night ascent, they would. it was popular to have fireworks as well, which were very dramatic and exciting. Wait, I have so many questions. Did Good. she say they would throw animals out? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had like, the same reaction, too, and I was like, what did like, she say? <laughs> what, like, what? Is that what she said? She would, they would just toss animals out of the balloon? Okay. Well, Jennifer has a little bit of an explanation here. Lenardi's historic first flight in Britain, 1784, he brought his pet cat. One of the first balloon flights made without humans, which they called unmanned flights, they put animals in a basket. In that case, it was a sheep, a rooster, and a duck. And um, after a lot of people had been seeing these balloon ascents for a while, sometime by the 1820s or 30s, they were demanding more exciting spectacles. And at that point, there are examples of people trying to ascend with a horse harnessed underneath the basket, with someone riding the horse. Sometimes people are putting um, dogs in a parachute and... Um, throwing them out of the out of the balloon today, there would be some you know laws against that kind of what we would see as kind of cruelty to animals. Wow, I mean, PETA would have a field day with with this group. Yes, I, I as a dog lover and owner, I am offended at the concept of a dog in a parachute getting tossed out, and yet. <laughs> It would be a sight to see, for sure. Hey, um, I want to stress again, there are no documented accounts of any animals dying. This was crazy. It's almost a precursor to the circus. I mean, this was a spectacle. I loved when she said they would enlist the crowd to, like, wrangle the balloons. Like, hey, everybody grab a grab a rope. <laughs> the balloon's <laughs> yeah. about to go flying off. I think the, the main reason why people would show up to these things is they really didn't know what was going to happen. Wow, that's Wow, that you know what I, I get it. I now understand what the difference is between an aeronaut and a modern day balloonist because I myself have never been on a modern day balloon. Have you? No, I have not. Because it's it seems a little boring to me, to be honest. Like, well, it seems like something you do with like your fiance. You're like, yeah, oh, it seems romantic. Evening. Yeah, there's there's definitely <laughs> something kind of corny and romantic about it. And I'm not bitter because I don't have a partner. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not. Frankly, aeronauts are just cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this balloon is... pilots. Sorry. If any of our listeners are balloon pilots and would like to invite us to a balloon excursion um, to show us how exciting, because we're we're I feel like we're talking trash about balloon balloonists, and neither one of us has ever been in <laughs> I was going to say we've never. Done, I'm sure neither, it's actually neither extreme. one of us has ever been on, and we're like ah boring. Probably that one of the most exciting things ever. It's probably more exciting than <laughs> skydiving, and here we are just like oh yeah. <laughs> So if there's a balloon balloonist out there who would like to invite us and show us how not boring it is, we're I'm down. I'm down to go. Maybe we can record um, the next episode up there. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Jobsolete is produced for iHeartRadio by Zealots Manufacturing Hand Forge Podcast for you. It's hosted by us, Helen Hong. That's me. And Matt Beat. That's me. The show was conceived and produced by Anthony Savini, Jason Elliott, and Steve Zamarki. Our editor is Tommy Nickel. Our researcher is Amelia Polka. Our production coordinator is Angie Jaimez. And theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. A special thanks to our iHeartRadio team, led by Nikki Etor, Katrina Norvell, Ali Cantor, Mangesh Hadi Kador, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, and Bob Pittman. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.